Hi, welcome to Over Beers, a craft beer conversation podcast. I'm Freddie Clark. This week, I sat down with Jeff Botto and Lori White of Zed's Beer in Marlton, New Jersey, for an early Sunday morning discussion in their tap room before the place got busy. Yep, Sunday morning beers. It's tough, but somebody's got to do it. During our conversation, we talked about the style of beer known as wit beer, so I thought it would be a good place to start today. Wit beer, or white beer, is an unfiltered, top-fermented style of wheat beer. Being unfiltered, it has a cloudy whiteness in the glass. It originated in Belgium during the Middle Ages and is different from other wheat beers due to the fact that it contains unmalted wheat as an adjunct along with other spices and sometimes oats. In other wheat beers, the wheat is malted. It can contain as much as 50% unmalted grains. In the early 1900s, the growth of golden lagers led to wheat beer's decreased popularity. In the 1950s, the last of the white beer breweries closed. It was in a town named Hogarden, Belgium. In the mid-1960s, a milkman named Pierre Sellis opened a new brewery called De Cluis and revived the style. He brewed a white beer and named it Hogarden in honor of the town. As a younger man, Pierre had worked in a brewery there. He remembered much of the brewing process and talked with town people who remembered the taste. Hogarden became popular and others started to make the style again as well. Traditionally, it's made with malted barley and unmalted wheat. Other spices can be included. Coriander and orange peel are very popular. Belgian ale yeast is usually used and produces fruity and spicy notes on its own. It can have a refreshing tartness. Usually very pale yellow in color, hazy with a rich foamy head. It comes in at around 4.5 or 5% alcohol. One of the beers we tried at Zed's was a cranberry wit, and you'll hear more about that in a moment. Zed's beer opened this past September although their story with beer goes back much further. We sat down over beers, and I asked the founder and brewer, Jeff, what got him started with beer. It's actually all Lori's fault. Um, (laughs) uh, Lori's my wife. Um, So about 22 years ago, plus or minus, uh, actually, believe it or not, we think that we actually were living in the, uh, uh, one of the apartment complexes here in Marlton. Um, She got me a Mr. Beer Kit as a gag gift. Uh, and I made the crappiest beer ever. It was awful. Um, so the Mr. Beer Kit is this little plastic container. It's it's like like brown plastic PET. It looks like a fake barrel, and it's about two, maybe two gallons mm, at a time. Yeah, yeah, two, two and a half. Something and it's like completely that. instant mix. You know, like you right. open the packet, pour it in, add the water, shake it up. Um, pretty fail safe. But we made crappy beer with it. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't but even know fa- if it was a fail. Safe. Safe fail. But, but, but you know, it, it had it suggested things like using table sugar for uh, for extra sugar and mm-hmm. to prime and stuff like that, which just I know now you shouldn't never ever do. Uh, so I took this uh, little Mister Beer Kit up. Uh, there used to be a homebrew shop uh, in Turnersville off of Forty Two, uh, and I took it into the into the place. And uh, you know, it's one of those pivotal moments you don't realize. And uh, he didn't laugh at me. He didn't make fun of me. He didn't say, what the hell are you doing with this small little plastic thing? Uh, what he asked was, well, what were you trying to make? Mm-hmm. Uh, and he wrote down a extract recipe off the top of his head, which impressed me. Um, what were you trying to make? Uh, you know, at the time, I don't even remember. Like some, um, some kind of pale simple. ale. Something okay. beer. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I, I know. Yeah, it might have been a pale. Okay. Um, but uh, whatever it was, he wrote it down, and um, I, I took it back and followed the directions exactly, uh, and I made passable beer. 
um, with your Mr. Beer kit with, still. With, okay. still, still my Mr. Beer kit. Okay. Uh, so I used that tiny little plastic uh, barrel probably for at least the first couple, couple three batches. Okay. Uh, and it started back then. Uh, you know, I did it maybe once or twice a year, and then it started to grow from there. Whenever we moved into the house. Um, I then, uh, you know, started three, four, five times a year. Uh, within five or six years or so, I was kegging, uh, built built our own kegerator, uh, built a uh, fermentation chamber, uh, moved to all grain, and it just sort of grew and grew and grew. Um, there was always one more step that we could take. Yes. You know, one mm-hmm. more tweak to make to sort of improve things. One more. One more tool to buy. One more. Well, that's, you know. isn't it? That's always the way with hobbies, yeah. right? You, yes. you get caught. You get started in one thing, and there's always that extra step. Let's and take you it to take, the next step. Right, you Let's take, take that step, step, and then there's another step. Yep, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So, so we, we we were led down the path to, oh, okay. to this gradually. So, so let me ask you: Is Mr. Beer still around? Uh, no, 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 he's that, not. Because that, that would be cool to have yeah. set up here. Had, yeah. we, had we known, we could right. have you know put him in a spot of honor. But we kind of ditched him to the curb a, a long okay. time ago, gotcha. yeah. lovingly, but. You know, so he, it was, he was the entry point, but he was. So, Lori, you bought the mistake. It was a total goof. Yeah, kind of. I mean, we, he, uh, you know, my husband was a beer lover. So, what do you, okay. what do you get for the beer lover for Christmas? You know, besides more beer, I just thought it would be fun for him. And okay. he's a creative guy, and you know, um, I, I had no idea where it would lead to, but mm-hmm. it was just kind of a, hey, this might be something Jeff would enjoy. Little did I know <laughs> how much Jeff would enjoy. <laughs> would enjoy making it. And then, what were you doing? I'm, I'm always interested in the path. Mm-hmm that people take. So you were home brewing and you had, I'm guessing another career or, or you're independently wealthy, one of the two. <laughs> no, no, uh, I, uh, as I like to call it, I had a couple other former lives. Okay. Um, uh, so for, uh, I've been in marketing and advertising now for probably the past uh, 20 plus years, give or take. Okay. Uh, so, um, uh, specifically content uh, production. So uh, my responsibility was uh, helping uh, our, our marketers actually get their content produced. Mm-hmm. Uh, so whether that was uh, multi-million dollar TV commercials all the way down to you know uh, $100,000 or uh, $1,000 uh, pop-up ads mm-hmm. uh, that come in or, or creating the website. Uh, it was my responsibility to make sure that the company was spending the money uh, properly, okay. um, uh, which also leads into opening up the brewery. I love negotiating. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I love looking at alternate ways of getting things done. Uh, I love looking at what's my greatest value. Uh, research is tremendously important before you take any step, uh, not only in marketing, but in, in small business as well. Um, know what the market is, know what the market can bear, know what the trends are. Uh, all of these that I've been doing for 20 plus years uh, in marketing and advertising, um, plus my love of beer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's on the professional side. Uh, on the beer side, um, uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a big believer that you write down your goals and that's the only way that you can achieve those goals. Uh, so whenever we decided to make this jump, one of the things that I know that I needed to do is become more proficient in understanding beer and how, how beer is created. Mm-hmm. Um, so to that end, um, I studied for and uh, became a BJCP judge. Um, and so I'm now at the certified level uh, mm-hmm. from there so that I can better understand uh, not only beer, off flavors, and et cetera, to make sure that um, uh, 
uh, you know, the, the beer that I'm putting together uh, is right. And if there are things that are off, how can I address those uh, uh, those issues so that uh, so that they work? Um, Just kind of kind of brings a more critical approach to it. Like you're you're analyzing it in a more not just in a beer lover way, like what tastes good to mm-hmm. me, but kind of what do people expect when they drink beer? What is the style supposed to taste like? What is it? It gives you an understanding of kind of what flavor components go into the beer, so you can mix and match with those, kind of like a chef with the recipes. If you don't understand the spices or the components, it's hard for you to be creative. And you can follow a recipe, but you can't really bring your own, you know, love and passion into it in the same way that you can once you understand right. uh, kind of all the components. Into right. And, and uh, I would imagine then, like anything else, if something goes wrong, having that knowledge <laughs> helps you dissect well, you what went wrong <laughs> and, and, and correct it. Yeah. Like, instead of this is really disgusting, like, this is really full of diacetyl. You know? Yes, right. You have a more technical right. term right. for exactly, <laughs> right. Well, it's always about the terms, right? Mm-hmm. Anything... Anything is about vocabulary. Once you have it down, the vocabulary, everything kind of else falls away, and there's a better understanding. And, and uh, what you mentioned about, uh, about vocabulary is uh, uh, falls in perfectly, even to how uh, we name the beers. Uh, so as a BJCP judge, it's important to me that you know what you're drinking. So whenever possible, um, uh, the the way that we name the beers uh, is is very steady. So. Uh, our American brown with honey is uh, Zed's in the U.S. So it puts you into place and it puts you into area. Mm-hmm. Um, our dry stout is Zed's in Ireland, dry stout. Mm-hmm. Um, our, um, we do have some fun with it. So the Copper Cream Ale, which is a 5.5, uh, it's actually our best-selling beer. Um, uh, you know, it's a very approachable, it's a good idea as to what approachable craft is. That one we have a little bit of fun with. Uh, it's a sessionable, sessionable beer. It's a backyard lawnmower beer, whatever you want to call it. That's Zed's in the backyard. Okay. Um, the uh, cranberry wit, uh, which is also in front of you, uh, that's Zed's in the bog. Uh, <laughs> cranberry wit. Right. Okay. Uh, but for the most part, uh, you know, Zed's in Zed's in London. Uh, that's the uh, the English mild. Okay. Um, and, and so it's important for me, even if you come in and, and you don't know what those terms mean, um, that at least allows me to then have a conversation with you about, no, let's we'll talk about an English mild is. And mm-hmm. let's, let's talk about our bitters. And why is our bitters the best bitters, parenthetically strong, as opposed to just a bitters? Mm-hmm. Uh, or why don't you call it an ESB? Because that's a trademark issue. Yeah, you know, that type of thing. <laughs> okay. but, it, but it allows us to, to have conversations with, with our customers. Well, and I would guess it also helps to put them in a place yes. to form a their opinion around it. Yeah. What you say to me in the backyard, that's going to mean to me, you know, a, a Saturday afternoon, what kind of beer did I grow up drinking? Yeah. Or, yeah. You know, with yeah. what would my father have when he was in the exactly. lawnmower? Yes. When yes. he was on the lawnmower. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And, and exactly, I mean, that's kind of ironic. Jeff's dad was was important in sort of formulating that. He was like, yeah, yeah, make a beer that I'd like to drink. Yeah, (laughs) after after a number of years of homebrewing, that's exactly what Dad said. He he was frustrated one night and, and said, can't you just make beer? Right. <laughs> and, and it took me a little bit to understand. You have to remember, we grew up in Pittsburgh. Okay. Uh, so beer was Iron City. Mm-hmm. Uh, it took, me, took us a little bit of time and, and a few recipes, but the, the copper cream ale um, is what I presented to him and said, here, Dad, here's beer. Mm-hmm. Uh, he now will drink just about anything that I brew. Uh, so, you know, his horizons and his palate have, uh, have expanded. Uh, but the, the, the copper cream... Uh, uh, but was it was 
you know, that was all because of him. Right. Okay. Which is amazing because I mean, I grew up in Staten Island, so different beer uh, with quotes, but it was still just beer. Yeah. There was not go to the store and here's here's fifteen bucks, Freddie. Go get me a case of. IPA, yeah. go get me a case of porter, go pick up a case of beer and bring it back home. Just beer, yeah. yeah, just and beer. And you knew your brand and you didn't really stray from it and it's vastly different from what our beer consumers are today, but Right. Well, the educated ones, right? The or the interested ones. I think, I think but I think even most um, at least in my experience, most beer consumers today are understand choice now mm-hmm. in a way that people didn't even a generation ago, mm-hmm. I think okay. people, um, you know, just from my experience, even even people who don't consider them, we get a lot of people in here who are, you know, coming with friends or whatever, they say, oh, well, I don't like beer, but you can push them a little bit and they, they'll tell you a couple of beers that they've liked, that they've tried, and they're everything from, you know, the Michelob Ultra drinkers, because they don't like heavy beers, to the Corona drinkers, because that's what they drink at the beach, or, you know, there's different um, reasons why people drink beer, and if you can get down to that reason mm-hmm. and help extract from there, then we can take them someplace in our range that kind of fits with that. Right, gives them that, a place to start. Yeah, reasoning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, an entry point. So what was your background then? So we have a marketing. Yeah. So I grew up in a super conservative religious family where no alcohol was ever allowed and okay. beer was like severely taboo. So I never had any experience. I mean, like snuck it in college, but wasn't beer was not at all part of my repertoire until I met Jeff and then you know um, kind of got got the privilege of learning to drink beer from someone who really loved beer mm-hmm. and appreciated it as opposed to just having it be like you know the party drink so um, so I came to beer from a pretty sophisticated um, position which was nice for me um, wasn't a great beer lover at first okay. um, I think maybe because I got overwhelmed by the variety you know like Beer for me wasn't just one drink. It was here's a stout, here's a, you know, here's a IPA, here's a, um, and those didn't even seem like the same beverage to me. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? They were so different. So, um, but gradually, uh, I found beers that I liked. I tend to stay on the lighter side of the spectrum. I tend to like more um, exotic or interesting beers. Um, if you tell me there's a weird spice in it or a specialty sugar in it or something, then I'm, I'm that's what I'm drawn to. So. Okay. Okay. So we've been talking for a few minutes, and i got to ask the question, where's Zed? I mean, we talked about having this interview. I figured Zed would be here. He's very much here. He's very he much here. here. If you look at the, the dominating man on the wall behind you, that, that, that is Zed. That is so, Zed. Okay. Yeah. So over the tap, over the uh, bar in the tap room is a painting? No, no. No, it's, it's actually a photo. A it's an old photo. It's okay. an old photograph. Of a, of a gentleman, very uh, distinguished looking, with a cane, overcoat, jacket and tie on underneath there, a uh, phenomenal mustache. It, 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 it's a fantastic... Uh, <laughs> I like to say he looks like the Monopoly guy, to give your listeners okay. a yeah. picture. He's okay. kind yeah. of like, yeah, he like does. the guy on yeah. the Monopoly. Without the top hat, unless yeah. it's off to the side somewhere, but yes, okay. So so that is my, uh, my great-grandfather uh, okay. on my father's side. Okay. Um, so his nickname uh, was Zed, and despite the way that he is dressed, uh, he actually was a coal miner uh, in Hungary okay. uh, for his entire life. So uh, as far as we know, never left uh, 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 the city, Chop Hungary, um, uh, was a coal miner the whole time. That that photo we think were t- uh, was taken around 1905. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, my assumption is that he's 
dressed to the nines because it was very unusual. The one and only time in his life that he ever had his picture, picture taken. taken um, and um, the great thing about Zed uh, is that two or three times uh, a year they would actually he would actually brew beer. Uh, so he would have a big block party. Uh, where a lot of friends and family would all get together. Uh, they would bring meats, they would bring uh, food and that type of thing. Um, and Zed brought, the, Zed brought the beer. So it's in the family. It's it in is. your DNA. It is. It is, it, it is in my DNA. Uh, that's on my dad's side. Mm-hmm. On my mom's side, uh, the other photo that you can't see underneath that, uh, for those on radio, um, <laughs> that is of my grandfather. Uh, and Grandpa Red uh, owned... Uh, a beer garden just outside of Pittsburgh for about 30, 35 years. Uh, at least I, I think it closed in like 69 or 70 or so. Okay. Uh, so yeah, so beer in one way or another uh, has been in my lineage for more than 100 years. Wow. And it's interesting, like that I find is so interesting is that then you were drinking beer, but then you had this lineage and then it took something like the, the gift of the brew kit to, to ignite it again. To, to bring <laughs> to, it out. To bring yeah. it out, yeah. Yeah. To wake it up. It was sleeping, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Excellent. Yeah. You guys from Pittsburgh, what brought you to New Jersey? Uh, work brought me to, to New Jersey. Okay. Um, and I followed him down. You followed him down. <laughs> okay, okay. All right. At what point then, you move, you're living in New Jersey, working in New Jersey, home brewing. When did you say, you know what, I really want to open my own brewery? We started, uh, uh, well, it, it really was whenever the laws changed. Uh, and uh, when we went to uh, Village Idiot specifically um, uh, up in Mount Holly and saw that you could make um, small batch, well-crafted, exciting beer mm-hmm. um, and be able to sell directly to the to the customer mm-hmm. uh, and create a very um, convivial uh, space where, uh, you know, uh, friends and family uh, with kids, you know, would all congregate. Um, that that really was the, the, the spark of, okay, here is what the next step is mm-hmm. okay. uh, for us. Okay, so you were looking for a next step and... The door opened up, and you saw that it was it was feasible. Yeah, I think it was, you know, part of that progression of going from something small to we had been brewing fairly large batches, taking them to tailgates, bottling them for just for ourselves to share with friends, and that was kind of the end place for us. And then we kind of got our eyes open to no, there is a next step here. Mm-hmm. We could take it professionally and do beyond, you know, just our our home. Um, bottling and, and friends at tailgates and things like that and share it with even the next level of, of you know friends and family so I think it was more the waking up to that this is actually a, a possibility this mm-hmm. is a because it was a business model that didn't really exist until then you know right. the, the laws kind of prevented that from happening so once we sort of saw that this was an option it was sort of like yeah no we this would be a good next step for us to take the way our journey was progressing. Okay. And I'm also a member of the Barley Legal uh, Homebrew Club. Uh, So we had inside of that club, uh, I know I'm going to miss Vince uh, at Village Idiot, um, Spellbound, uh, Maniunk, uh, Tonewood. um, Who else am I? I know I'm forgetting a few. Um, Well, I mean, that's four off the top of my head. Um, 
uh, uh, plus us. So so it was it was wonderful to see people who Jay, third I uh, yeah. third state. Thank you, um, folks who uh, I knew brewed good beer mm -hmm. uh, because I've had their homebrew. Right. Uh, then going uh, professional as well, uh, and that's a little inspiring. Yeah. Uh, whenever whenever you see someone uh, like Spellbound uh, have to expand within the the, the first year, year and a half or so, uh, and how they just captured the market, uh, one of the first to put to everything in the cans and just to own own that. Um, that's exciting. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, you know, shows and, it can be done. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, and the what really impresses me about the New Jersey market, the New Jersey beer scene is that everybody knows each other. <laughs> You know, it, and it's, I don't, you know, it's, it's, it's a tight community. And in a lot of ways, yes, you guys are competing, mm -hmm, sure. but you're also work. You all know each other. Mm -hmm. You've come out of a homebrew group together. You work together. And I can't tell you how many stories I've heard of people helping each other out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You know? absolutely. So, we, we really relied on our friends in the business and our friends in the homebrew community when we were getting started. Everyone was super helpful with information. And so, of course, we try and pay that forward, too, mm -hmm. to the people. And the pace is picked up a lot. So even since we started and started doing our background, there have been a couple breweries that are opening up, you know, right after us or mm -hmm. right around us. So we have a kind of a peer group that we, <laughs> that we you know, are kind of coming up with. Yeah, um, and the, then the, third, the third state has been fantastic. Lower Forge has been great. Uh, uh, Berlin Brewing. Uh, those are just the ones off the top of my head, and, and I, I know I'm, I'm missing a few. Mm -hmm. uh, and whether that is, oh, help me understand this whole break tank thing, uh, to, um, you know, well, where did you get um, this particular grain from? Mm -hmm. um, uh, e even, even Keg and Barrel, uh, the homebrew shop, um, you know, so, so helpful uh, and very, very supportive. Same guy who uh, wrote the recipe for you? Uh, no, different different homebrew shop. Sorry, yeah. they went out of yeah, business. Okay. Shop. Okay. Yeah. All right. So you are realized that this can be a reality. How long does it take then from that moment to when it became a reality? The uh, well, we signed the lease of this space uh, October of last year. Mm -hmm. uh, so after um, uh, after the lease was signed, your equipment uh, has to be purchased. Um, and then you, you basically have two or three paths uh, that you have to follow all, all of them. From a federal standpoint, um, feds will not take a look at your, uh, your application until you have a space and your equipment purchased. So they need to make sure that you have that investment in place. Okay. Um, so it, it's... Um, make it, sure you're it's, serious. It's a pretty intense right. uh, investment up front. Um, and then, of course, your township... Um, uh, you know, has to approve all of your plans and and, and everything uh, like that, and then the state uh, reviews uh, uh, their piece. Um, but that's also contingent upon getting your TTB brewers uh, notice as well. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think our timeline was: we signed the lease in October, working with the architects over the next couple months, um, uh, submitted our our plans to the township in uh, December. Uh, we broke ground, uh, broke concrete, uh, the very last um, uh, week of February. Uh, and then that started the build out from there. Uh, we received our brewer's notice in March. Oh, the brewer's, yeah, the federal yeah, one was in March. Yeah, and then fe the federal was, a, was in March, uh, and we received our uh, TAP uh, from the ABC uh, in July. 
Um, and then started brewing like crazy. And then, and then we brew. <laughs> All right. And then we, we received that notice on, uh, on, on Wednesday or no, we received it on Thursday and I was brewing on Friday. Nice. So given your background with beer, how you really dove into it and your marketing background, I'm going to guess that you knew where you wanted to take Zed's from the very beginning or close to the very beginning. So when you said, I'm opening a brewery, did you have a goal in mind for people when they walked in? What did you want Zed's to be to people other than just a brewery? So Zed's is all about approachable craft. Mm -hmm. Uh, And what that means is that we focus on beers that are 5.5% ABV and lower. Uh, and 42 IBUs and lower. Oh, wow. Um, You're doing it wrong. Yeah, that's <laughs> it's a chase to the IBUs. Come on. <laughs> and, 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 you know, and, that, and that's exactly, um, you know, when, when you look at the market, there's a hell of a lot of good beer uh, that is being made that, uh, that fits that, you know, that, that higher end of the spectrum. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but there's not as much good quality. Uh, uh, you know, homemade, not homemade, uh, locally made, handcrafted beer uh, that falls into your your more 5.5% and, and lower. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a, it's a slight, um, you know, uh, others are zigging and we're going to zed or okay. maybe we're going to zag. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a, that, that was a bad way to get my uh, branding in there. Um, uh, but, I, but I want you to know what zed what Zed's beer stands for. That whenever you come in, you can bring in family and friends. Uh, you're not going to get five different IPAs from me. Mm-hmm. You'll have one IPA. Uh, you're also not going to get three porters at the same time. When you come in, we have 12 taps. Um, my goal is to not have any repetition in beer style across all of those taps. Okay. So that you know when you come in, Hey, you know what? I'm not just going to be tied into a saison. I'm not just going to be tied into a uh, a high alcohol uh, beer or whatever. Not to say we may not make that here or there, but um, but you'll be able to come in and, and say, oh, you know what? I I'm not familiar with what an English mild is, mm-hmm. uh, so I'm going to try that. Or oh, that looks intriguing. What 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 did you do with peaches? You know what is what is a golden peach? I, I you know I would never have, have had a um, uh, a fruit beer before, mm-hmm. um, and and so that's what we're we're focusing on is that approachable craft beer. Okay, now with all those styles, I'm assuming from a brewer's perspective, the the brewer's hat on, that that's got to be a challenge to master, attempt, work, create all those different type of styles. The 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 nice thing about uh, home brewing for twenty plus years, uh, I had about thirty or forty recipes. And when I looked back on those homebrew recipes, uh, about 75% of them fell into the approachable craft okay. definition. Uh, so I have a nice category of, uh, of recipes to work on. Now, granted, I had not scaled any of them up to, you know, to, to a five-barrel system, uh, but it gives me a nice base. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, that combined with my BJCP experience, um, 
helps me formulate other recipes that I that I think folks will uh, will enjoy. Okay. So your your homebrew recipes are you still tweaking them? Do you know there? I mean, other than the scaling aspect, are are they locked in or are they? Is it still an experiment even with the older recipes? We have four recipes that are definitely locked in, and, okay. and uh, so we have five staples. Anytime you come into Zed's, you will always have Zed's in the backyard. Uh, our copper cream. Uh, you will always have uh, Zed's in Ireland, the the dry stout. Uh, Zed's in New Jersey, the Jersey blonde uh, will always be on. Um, and Zed's in the Universe, uh, the Pale 42 will always be on. Mm -hmm. uh, those recipes are, are, are locked in. Um, there will always be a West Coast IPA uh, on. Uh, so um, Zed's in the West Coast uh, IPA, but then we will change that one. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're on our, well, we just actually brewed our fourth version. But um, the, the first two were more tropical. Um, uh, number three featured the Columbus hops. Um, uh, and number four will make a slight tweak, but there will always be an IPA on. Okay. Uh, so those those four recipes are are pretty much locked in. Okay. Uh, and even though we've only been open f uh, since September 9th, uh, I've already gone through at least two or three batches uh, of each one of those uh, staple beers. Okay. Um, the other five or six beers, uh, those are those will will rotate. Will rotate. Um, okay. and Seasonals or you know whatever, whatever we feel inspired to brew at the mm -hmm. time. Okay. I mean the beautiful thing about working in at the size that we are is we can think about the best ingredients that we can get at the time and you know what's working seasonally, what's working for us for our customers and just what we like at the time and we can we have a, a lot of flexibility. And, and what's working locally as well. So uh, I, I mentioned uh, we get um, a lot of ingredients uh, from Cheyenne's uh, Farmer's Market, uh, which is uh, over here in Marlton. Uh, so he uh, he takes out all of my grain and feeds his uh, his pigs with the grain. Okay. Uh, and in exchange, uh, I get these wonderful local ingredients. So uh, he gave us... Uh, 56 pounds of peaches and uh, that's what became the the golden peach mm -hmm. um, he gave us um, the honey and I forget how much that was I think there was 60 pounds of honey uh, it was a lot of honey um, uh, then he did you know his his bees on his uh, on his farm uh, and that became uh, Zed's in the US the the American brown with honey um, in front of you right now is our Zed's in the bog cranberry wit uh, and that was made with 53 pounds of uh, hand-picked, I hope dry I have this right, hand-picked, dry-picked cranberries. He was very I apologize, Craig, I know that I probably that got that wrong. Um, but yeah, a special way to, to, to harvest the, uh, the, uh, the, those beers. So we'll, we'll use those local ingredients um, uh, you know whenever we can mm -hmm. and I know I'll be going back to to, to Craig and, and some of the other local farmers uh, as the seasons progress okay well Craig if you are listening I'm drinking the cranberry wet right now and however you harvested it <laughs> it's working well it's doing its job so with the cranberry wit okay so good bit of cranberry why pair it then with a wheat I, I really like the way that uh, a wit finishes, mm -hmm. um, and for me there there's a, a definite uh, you know fall off the cliff uh, uh, whenever you drink a wit. Uh, it's very drying, mm -hmm. uh, which I feel would uh, complement and actually ex uh, accentuate the tartness 
uh, that you get whenever you have a cranberry. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So, uh, unlike some fruit beers that tend to be cloyingly sweet or mm-hmm. really lingering with the flavor, I feel like this one gives you a nice hit of tart at the beginning and then finishes clean. Yeah. So it's mm-hmm. two tastes. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely two tastes. Mm. And it's pink. <laughs> it's pink. It is pink. That is true. It is pink. Well, you put another cranberry in it, exactly. <laughs> it'll be pink. <laughs> All right. So, also, we have. There's the dry stout. That's mm-hmm. Zed's in Ireland. Yes. And there's definitely coffee. So I, I, I get, I get, uh, and I have a little bit of a cold, but I get um, coffee in the nose. I get some baker's chocolate mm-hmm. uh, in the nose. Uh, and in my mouth, whenever I, whenever I have this beer, um, the coffee becomes subdued a little bit, um, and the the chocolate actually gets a little bit sweeter mm-hmm. uh, on my swallow. So yep. it, it it almost becomes um, it's not a not a milk chocolate by any stretch of the imagination, uh, but it's a but it's a sweeter chocolate. It's not um, um, the 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 dry baker's mm-hmm. uh, that I get in the nose. Yeah. No, and yeah, it does. You're right. The, the transition, coffee up front, and then mm-hmm. the chocolate comes in. Yeah. Very nice. You know what? These are good beers to drink at 10 o'clock in the morning. I'll tell you that right now. We are recording very early on a Sunday morning. so we, we tend to, I don't know how this happened, but we tended to have a lot of beers that kind of had a breakfast vibe. And then we almost we start calling it our breakfast series, you know, because we have the, the coffee stout. We had our, when we first launched, we had a beer mosa, which was a really light wheat beer with a lot of orange in it. Okay. It tasted very breakfasty. Mm-hmm. Um, and then our latest seasonal is the, the maple waffle beer which is a, you know, a very malty beer with a mm-hmm. maple finish. So we kind of got all breakfast on, the, on your palate. Okay. Yeah. Well, we won't, we won't judge. <laughs> we'll just drink. Uh, uh, next is the uh, Copper Cream. So are you telling me this is your, your top, your top this, seller for right now? Uh, uh, overall, since we've been mm-hmm. open, this is, this is our, uh, this is our best-selling beer. Uh, so again, this, uh, I've told you the story about um, how this came about. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's a fairly classic... Uh, cream ale. Um, for me, it, it, it's what happens when you pay attention to a style. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the thing that I didn't tell Dad is that I couldn't just make a cream ale. I had to play with it a little bit. Um, so it is a little bit uh, darker. I replaced some of the lighter malts mm-hmm. with uh, Crystal 120 uh, so that it's a little bit more of a toffee um, uh, coming in it that, than you would have on the cream ale. Mm-hmm. Uh, still has that cream ale finish. Um and uh, the other fun thing that I that I do with this, our, our grain bill for this is about uh, in our five barrel system. It's around three hundred pounds. Um, I add uh, five pounds of black patent malt um, uh, to the to the grain bill, uh, which adds no flavor whatsoever. Uh, but those that five pounds of the darkest malt uh, is enough that it actually colors the rest of the beer, mm-hmm. uh, and it and it comes out this beautiful beautiful copper color. Yeah. Um, and so that that's the copper cream ale, five point five percent ABV, and hits right at uh, nineteen IBUs. Uh, easy drinking. Picture yourself. Um, you know, in the backyard uh, at the tailgates, uh, Sunday afternoon, watching the watching the football game, watching yep. the Steelers win. <laughs> <clears throat> well, at least you know it's it's good that your team is winning. My teams are not doing so well this year. Um, and look, I, I went to school up in uh, SUNY Geneseo, and we had literally the Jenny Cream Factory. Jenny L was right down the street, mm-hmm. and this is no Jenny L. This is no <laughs> Jenny Cream. Thank you for that. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> 
All right, and we so we talked about the cranberry. Last on the flight, we have the pale forty-two. And uh, pale forty-two uh, again, a recipe that I've been making uh, for. Uh, what, 10, 12 years probably, uh, you know, this is a batch that I can uh, uh, do in my sleep. Um, it's, it's right at what approachable craft um, uh, is all about. Uh, 42 IBUs uh, in this beer. Um, I love the nose uh, uh, on it. Um, and... Um, yeah, this, this for me as a you know, more moderate beer drinker. I, I love this. I love the hop smell of IPAs. Mm-hmm. Really love them. Could stick my nose in a glass for forever, but I just can't taste that bitterness in the swallow. And for okay. me, this one is sort of that great middle point where you get the beautiful floral in the nose, but none of that astringency or bitterness in the swallow. So it's got that perfect APA middle ground. Mm-hmm. So for me as a lightweight, um, <laughs> this is my, this is my, one of my favorites. Okay. So if, if, Someone walks in and says, look, I drink, they come in with a group of people. I drink Coors Light, I drink, I don't know this, I craft beer, not into it, I don't, I don't like hops. Where do you guide them? How do you, how do you guide them through their journey? I, it, you know, it's wonderful having conversations with, pe- with people like that because uh, a lot of times they'll start off and they say, I want your lightest beer. Mm-hmm. And I'll say to them, uh, especially whenever we had uh, Zeds on the plane, the Vice Pale, which is a white IPA, I don't think you'll want my lightest beer because it's 55 IBUs. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, you can see through it. Yeah, you can read through it. It looks light, but you're, you know, and then they'll, no, 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 I want the light beer. <laughs> So then, that's when the when the conversation starts. Right. Uh, so for us, light in flavor, not in color. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And so that's when the the copper cream, because it's got a beautiful copper color. You pour that for somebody saying, "Oh, I don't like dark beers." I'm like, mm, "Give it a chance." All right. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's funny because the perception in the mass market is that very thing. It is. If yeah. it's a darker beer, it's going to be heavier, and it's usually the exact opposite. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 So we'll we'll start that person probably with uh, Zed's in New Jersey, uh, the the Jersey Blonde, um, classic blonde. It's not in front of you, but um, uh, you know, classic blonde, easy drinker, five point five, if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. um, and about uh, twenty four IBUs. And but then, even last night we had somebody tasting it. Oh, that's too hoppy for me. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's whatever. But that's also why you know we we then have uh, the the cranberry wit to, mm-hmm. to fall on to, or, or the English mild or the English or, mild, the, or, the, yeah. or the copper cream. Okay. Um, you know that that's part of the fun is is educating and understanding uh, what they're looking for mm-hmm. uh, or why they just you know make the uh, the overall statement that no, I don't like beer. Um, or, you know, someone will come in and say, well, I only drink red wine. Okay, well, if you only drink red, red wine, let's start you with the Zeds in London, the, the, the English mild. Uh, let it warm up a little bit, and you'll start to see that there's a little bit of oakiness that, in there. Uh, or let's, uh, let's try uh, Zeds in the Pacific, the, um, the vanilla porter. Um, and, you know, just as your wine changes, as your red wine changes, as... Uh, the temperature changes. So does this beer, uh, and that vanilla uh, starts to almost have a cherry note to it. Um, and uh, you know, it, it is wonderful. I have customers that have uh, come back, and they will say, "I never thought that I would drink 
fill in the blank, whether mm-hmm. that's something dark or something with carbonation in it or, or whatever. Um, but uh, I had a flight. You talked to me through it or one of our servers talked, uh, uh, talked them through it. Um, and now they're coming back and, uh, you know, excited uh, to say, oh, uh, you know, uh, I haven't tried this before. Yeah, and that's why I think small breweries like the ones that are popping up are a really great entryway for the consumer, right? Because if you're standing in canals or in front of, you know, one of the big beer stores and you've got this wall of beer and you have to make choices and there's no one there to kind of, I mean, their staffs are really helpful, but, you know, there's no chance to try a sip and talk through it with the brewer and and understand it. Um, I think what we've been able to create in New Jersey and in small breweries around the country is this ability to really experience beer close to the brewery, close to the brewers in a, in a way that's safe for the consumer mm-hmm. and that allows them to play and explore and have fun with beer um, in a way that might have been intimidating before. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think I think it's cool. I, I, I agree <laughs> with you. I agree with you. Um, you guys have been here since September. Are you any place else right now? With are you distributing at all, or is it this is the place to no, get it, the taproom? This is this is the place to get okay. sets. We're you know we're talking to um, some draft accounts, okay. um, but so far right now we, we're still just here in 19 North Maple Avenue, <laughs> Marlton, New Jersey 08053. Thanks to Lori and Jeff. Visit Zed's Beer, as Jeff said, at 19 North Maple Avenue in Marlton. Their tasting room is open Thursday through Sunday, and you can find out more information at drinkzeds.com. Thanks for listening. You can find out more about the podcast at the blog at overbeers.beer. Please leave a rating on the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It helps. You can also leave a comment on the blog or send me an email. I'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas about the show. The email address is cheers at santefoto.com. You can also follow along on Instagram at santefoto. The show is going to take a short break for the holidays. It's going to be back in the middle of January with more conversations. I've already been out there recording, and there are some great conversations on the way. Until then, have a very merry and happy holiday season, and be sure to enjoy family, friends, and, of course, beer. I'm Freddie Clark, and this has been Over Beers.